You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey friends, great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now today, making disciples of the nations. That is our spiritual fight. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, very good to have you back here on this podcast today. Thank you for joining us at Life Changing Discipleship. And uh, what we like to do, beginning the program, just kind of throw out some issues, some things that uh, I just found interesting uh, to talk over for the first few moments of the program. And one of the things that I was kind of mindful of, I don't know if you have a Facebook account, but if you have one, one of the things you can do is look back to see what you've been posting across the last few years. And, uh, and what I will do, because sometimes I'm just lazy, don't want to post anything else. I will copy one of those perspectives and repost it. And so today I did that because I remembered that there was a Supreme Court justice, you'll remember his name, now deceased, called Antonin Scalia. And apparently, uh, the Mississippi Federal Society used to invite him annually because they knew he loved to come down to Mississippi to turkey hunt with some friends of his down here. So he accepted several times to speak at the Mississippi Federal Society, and he was just, uh, my, my friend Pepper says, he was just the happiest warrior, this guy. First time I ever met him, he was wearing a bathrobe and playing boogie-woogie piano or something crazy, whatever that means. I, I just will, I just kind of find it fascinating that he would spend some of his fun time down in Mississippi. But while he was at the Federal Society, he gave a speech the last time he was in Jackson. And I, I just consider it one of the best speeches he ever made. Because this is what he said, the worldly wise do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So everything from Easter morning to the ascension had to be made up by the groveling enthusiasts as part of their plan to get themselves martyred. Yeah, that's all being said, as well, you know, with tongue in cheek. I mean, that's what people were doing back then. Let's just make up something so we can get ourselves killed. Cretan, says Scalia a synonym for moron and imbecile is derived from the French word for Christian. That's the view of Christians taken by modern society. Surely those who adhere to Christian beliefs are to be regarded as simple minded. Then Scalia said this, we are to be fools for Christ's sake. Pray for the courage to endure the scorn of the sophisticated world. Mm. I tell you what, I'm grateful for the, time that Scalia had on the bench. But I'm beginning to feel like maybe the reason he was so good as a Supreme Court justice, because he was able to go in, unlike some others, as well we know, able to go into Washington, D.C. and endure the scorn of the sophisticated world of the inside the Beltway crowd. I just kind of found it interesting. It came back up on my uh, Facebook feed and just wanted to share with you. Uh, I, uh, again, very much appreciate the Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. This is uh, kind of in the news. It was sort of came out 
pre-Super Bowl, but I think it was a fascinating thing. Uh, Super Bowl betting is a $7.6 billion problem. Fewer evangelicals than ever care about. This is comes from a report in Christianity Today. Uh, talked about a guy named Tom Gray, who apparently is a Methodist minister that traveled 250 days a year with a, an organization that used to be called the National Coalition Against Legalized Gambling. It now goes by the name Stop Predatory Gambling. And he can remember major wins like keeping a casino out of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania with the help of filmmaker Ken Burns. And he says, you know, the problem is gambling companies just have to win once and then they've got it. Mayors and other people would stand up and say, we don't want your casino, but there aren't choices any longer. Churches feel like it's over and that gambling has won America. So this guy now, uh, Tom Gray, 81 years of age, uh, but he is uh, very much uh, somebody that is still engaged, still interested, and still watching the latest iteration of the industry take off, and that is sports betting. So the American Gambling Association has projected a record 31.4 million Americans are going to be putting down 7.6 billion on the Super Bowl this year. 7.6 billion, not million, billion with a B, billion. That's up more than one third from last Super Bowl as more states have legalized online betting. Now, if you're an evangelical that doesn't really care about these sorts of things, that's what you tell yourself is, hey, I don't care. Why should I be concerned with that? And frankly, that's a valid kind of question. Let me tell you perhaps why. I, um, we didn't have the lottery for years and years in Mississippi. And a couple of years ago, we all of a sudden now have the lottery. Our evangelical governor happened to be a distant friend of mine. Uh, was was on the Matt Friedman Show on a regular basis uh, back in the day. Uh, we had an evangelical governor that stood in the way of the lottery, and then all of a sudden, incredibly, very quickly, one legislative session, he just flat changed his mind and um, eventually signed into law the lottery in Mississippi. Now, I went up to probably the leading Christian organization of the state of Mississippi, and one of the leading Christian organizations in the nation and uh, got a little time with the president of that organization and just said, hey, listen, if you would make a phone call to three people, uh, the governor, the speaker of the house and the lieutenant governor, you, my friend, could end this lottery nonsense right now. That that much clout belongs to this organization and to that president. And he says, not going to do it. I said, why aren't you going to do it? He says, because the lottery is a stupid tax, and I'm not stupid. And that ended the conversation. I, I, I'm going to suggest to you something. You may not be stupid, but what if your neighbor, what if your brother and sister, what if that family over there is struggling to get by and knows if they just hit the lottery, hit the big time, everything's going to be okay? What about them? What if it's not about you, dear friend? What if it's about your neighbor or the poor or the ones over there struggling that just don't understand that there's virtually no way they're going to win when they fork over 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks for lottery tickets? Uh, the, the 2020 Gallup figures 
on the issue showed that 71% of Americans said gambling was morally acceptable, highest level in 18 years it had done the survey. But there's a, a lady named Anita Bedell who has been fighting gambling in Illinois for decades as the head of Illinois Church Action on Alcohol and Addiction Problems. And she says, I think there's going to be a lot of devastation to individuals and families in the following weeks after that Super Bowl, she said, because guess what? A lot of money goes out the door that ought to be going on, for instance, the dinner table. Now, churches aren't very much interested in the issue anymore. Let's pick other issues to fight. But just be mindful of this. The Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission put out every year an anti-gambling church bulletin insert, which lays out in bullet points why gambling is a sin against God, which, by the way, I believe it definitely is. The Assemblies of God adopted a position paper in 2015 calling gambling unwise and a compromise of Christian ethics and witness. Y'all, you can do whatever you want with this issue, but I would suggest you, when you recognize that your money is not your money, that it all belongs to God, then you begin recognizing maybe giving it up for a chance to take money from other people, which is what gambling is. You give up some of your hard-earned dollars, which is actually God's money. You give up God's money for a chance to take money from other people, whether it's in the casino or it's in the lottery. That is unwise, and I agree, it's sinful. And if you can't counsel your region of America or of the world against it, then at least counsel your family and your church against it, because again, it's a very very bad idea. All right. I want to bring you a message from one of our sponsors. And today we're going to be talking about Teleos Press. A lot of really good books at teleospress.com. Now, Teleos is the Greek word for whole, for complete, for perfect. It's spelled T-E-L-E-I-O-S. So go to teleospress.com for a lot of wonderful volumes, including what we're going to talk about today on the program, that is the 5Q method of discipleship, which will teach you more about how to be a serious disciple maker for Jesus. We're going to talk about that again on the program. That is the program for the day, the 5Q method of discipleship. So check it out at teleospress.com or simply go to amazon.com and order up. I think you'll very much appreciate having done that. Okay, so let's get to our issue for the day, and today we want to talk about this whole thing called 5Q discipleship. Listen, I have been a discipleship aficionado for decades. A couple years ago, I ran into a guy named Hal Perkins, and we have a similar passion for discipleship, and he kind of showed me and shared with me what he was doing with his model of discipleship. I took that kind of put it through my experience and through my training and came up with something called the 5Q method of discipleship. And 5Q simply is five questions that ought to change your life. In fact, that's the name of the book, the 5Q method of discipleship, five questions that will change your life. And so what we do when we get groups together is we simply say, let's ask five questions. This is so easy to do that after you've done it for about four or five sessions, you can do it with your own group of disciples. And I would tell you here, when you begin adopting that kind of methodology for your own life, that is, I'm going to make disciples, 
and those disciples are going to make disciples, and those disciples are going to make you are going to make disciples. Whoa, my, my friend Hal Perkins that I just mentioned said that if a lay person will pursue this kind of disciple making effort for just ten years, that lay person will have a far greater impact on a congregation and probably more than a single congregation than the vast majority of full-time pastors. And, and Perkins says, listen, I, I, I've seen it happen. Lay people take this and have incredible impact. Now, I got to tell you, I'm now in my fourth day, decade of pastoring, and I've seen many colleagues come and go. But I've had the opportunity to teach thousands of seminary students, and Hal is right. Whether you do this in a seminary, in a school or in your church or in your neighborhood, anybody that takes this discipleship vision and ardently runs with it is going to have dramatic impact. So simply stated, five questions. Here they are. Number one, what does the Lord want to teach us through this passage of Scripture today? God is speaking today, here, now. And he communicates to his people through any number of methods, but the key one, the big one, the one that is the most clear is through his word. And so what we do in a 5Q meeting is simply this. We will read a passage of scripture. And uh, I can tell you what I'm going to do right now is just open up my Bible and use a passage uh, for the purposes of this program today. Most of you know this passage. Uh, it's Psalm 23. And so we would read through Psalm 23 and simply say, okay, after we're done reading this, let's now all of us take about one minute to sort of read back through it and see what the Holy Spirit highlights for us. And so we'll stop. And after that minute, I, the leader, whoever the leader is, will say, all right, what's the Lord showing us? And bit by bit, revelation <laughs> comes alive as people say, well, that whole thing of you are with me, that means so much to me. Are you serious? God can be with me. <laughs> I fear no evil for you are with me. And, and somebody else will say, you know, that, that whole thing is shepherd. Uh, the Lord is my, my, my shepherd. And I, I tell you what, it's great knowing that as one of his sheep, he's got a bigger and better plan for your life than you do as one of those individual sheep. And it goes on and on and on. If you're in a group of five people, everybody shares twice. You've now got 10 insights. And I'm going to tell you, it always happens. Three or four of those insights you will never have had before that meeting. And so when I'm in groups as a seminary professor and as a pastor, I learn mightily from the people who are in there, regardless of how long they have been in the faith or how long they've been taking Scripture seriously. I'm just telling you, the insights from the body of Christ are incredible. Now, I do want to share this. Anybody remember Chuck Yeager? He was a famed pilot. And apparently in his uh, autobiography uh, called Yeager, uh, he talks about flying an F-86 Sabre in, in the Sierras. And I, I remember reading this uh, in bed one day. I thought, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark this. I'm going to use it the rest of my life. And I have. He was in an F-86 Sabre in the Sierras, and he decided to buzz a friend's house near the edge of the lake. And while he was doing it, he decided, let me not just buzz his house. Let me do a slow roll while I'm buzzing his house. So he starts rolling the F-86 Sabre, and all of a sudden, the aileron locked. He says, it was a hairy moment. I'm 150 feet off the ground, upside down. 
Now, a lesser pilot might have panicked, but Jaeger, well, Jaeger's the best that ever lived, apparently. He let up on the G's, pushed up the nose, and sure enough, the aileron unlocked. So he climbed to 15,000 feet where it was safer and tried the maneuver again. Every time he rolled, the problem recurred. So Jaeger knew that three or four pilots had died under similar circumstances, and investigators had always been puzzled as to what's going on here, so he took a report to his superior, and the inspectors went to work. They found that a bolt on the aileron cylinder had been installed upside down. So eventually the culprit was found in a North American aircraft plant. He was an older guy on the assembly line who ignored instructions about how to insert that bolt because he knew bolts were supposed to be placed head up, not head down. And Jaeger says in his autobiography, nobody ever told the man how many pilots he had killed. Y'all, our challenge is to pay attention to the directions. And the first question of our 5Q method of discipleship is, what's he telling us from his book of directions? What does he want us to know, and how can this group help me to understand that? So what we do is, the first thing we do in a group is, we read scripture, then we just say, hey, what's the Holy Spirit highlighting for you? And I've never ever been through a meeting, and I've been through thousands. I've never been through a 5Q meeting where I didn't learn something notable, write it down in my Bible, and use it later because of that interaction. Second question is this, all right? We're reading Psalm 23. Remember, that's the passage we're using for today. The second question is, how can I adore the God that is arising out of this passage? And so I'll just say, someone lead us in a prayer of adoration. And someone will say, whoa, the Lord. First off, I want to praise you, Lord, because the Lord's the covenant name for God. I praise you that you're the covenant God. I worship you as the covenant God. But more than that, you are shepherd. You are my shepherd. And you're the shepherd that meets my needs. It says here, I will not be in need. You meet my needs. I praise you. I adore you. I worship you as Lord, as shepherd, and as the one who meets my needs even today. And then somebody else will crop up and says, hey, I want to praise the Lord. And, and you just go through the passage and people are praising and we're worshiping. It's a delightful way to start off a group. First, what the scriptures say, then how can we base worship and adoration and praise on that passage? You look back down at the passage and you begin getting an idea here. So I, I would say this, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, says that we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Man was made to worship God, but God gave man a harp and said, Here, above all the creatures that I've made, all the creatures that I've created, I've given you the largest harp. You can worship me in a manner that no other creature can. And when he sinned, man took that instrument and threw it down in the mud. So the act of adoration... The act of worship is therefore practice in picking up that proverbial harp and doing what we were designed to do together in a small group, in a discipleship group. It is a great way to start a group. Let's look at scripture. What's the Holy Spirit trying to teach us from the scripture today? And then how can we worship the Lord based on that passage? Then there is a step that we call testimony. 
And it's simply this. How can we give testimony from what this passage is teaching us? In other words, let's just say, do I have a testimony about how, say, the Lord might have shepherded me this week? And someone would give a testimony that way. Or how has he met my needs this week? How has he led me by quiet waters this week? How has Jesus, as my shepherd, restored my soul this week? And you'll give testimony to that great dynamic in your life, and that is how he has done it, how I've experienced it. Now I want to talk about it. Now, I do some of these 5Q groups, discipleship groups, in person. Now, we'll be in the same room, but I do a lot of them by Zoom. And when I do them by Zoom, that means I can include in there not only people that are in town, but people who are way out of town and sometimes out of nation. I remember that morning, usually I do these at 6 a.m. That's when people tend to be free. Uh, I don't know what time it was in Mozambique, but one of my brothers in Mozambique happened to be a student. We were reading in chapter 34 of Ezekiel about God's shepherding activity. And so I just said, okay, who here can talk to me out of Ezekiel 34, a testimony that Jesus has given to you? So I asked them to take a few minutes of silence and think of a shepherd, maybe a pastor in their life that has made them who they are today. And, and the brother from Mozambique told about a woman who transformed him through the power of personal testimony herself. She was always talking about how God was moving and guiding her, and one point told about how he guided her and moved her towards her current husband. And as a result, when it came time for him to choose a partner, he knew what to do. <laughs> he, had, he had heard from that shepherd in his life that God had placed in his life, and her testimony guided him to his own choice of a mate in holy matrimony. I just love that. Could it be that God can move through other people's testimony to change me, to make me more the person that he ever dreamed that I could be? So that is something that we love to do in our groups. First, we start with scripture. Then we adore him. Then we move to times of testimony. Then I love to go to the fourth question. That is, what does Jesus want us to change? Now, I don't know if you know of a great disciple maker named Robert Coleman. He wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, and most people think misnamed book. That book probably ought to be The Master Plan of Discipleship, because in that volume, he talks about how Jesus did it. I highly recommend the book to you if you're interested in discipleship. It is, it is the main book in the world to read outside of the Gospels themselves. But the Master Plan of Evangelism, authored by Robert Coleman, contains a quote by a German philosopher named Frederick Engels. Now, this quote was from the introduction by another guy named Paul Rees. But Paul Rees uses Frederick Engels, and he includes a quote that's very important for us to consider, and that is, philosophers have only interpreted the world differently. The point is, however, to change it. We are not to be Bible scholars that sit around and just talk. We always say in 5Q groups, if you make disciples by sitting around and talking, don't be surprised if your disciples just sit around and talk. You've got to decide we're going to change some things, and we're going to hold each other accountable for change. And so you'd look down at a passage like Psalm 23, and you would come up with something that you could behaviorally or majorly do this week 
so that when we get back together next week, you'll be able to say, hey, this is what I said last week, and this is what I did about it. And all of a sudden, your discipleship group comes not just a Bible study, but you are saying, I'm letting, I'm not just examining scripture here to, with you guys. I am letting scripture examine me, and I aim to change because of that examination. And so you get up and go do something this week and report back on it next week based on this passage that we're using today, Psalm 23. So what would that be? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need. Now, Jesus says, follow me. So I think I'm supposed to be shepherding somebody. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do before next week. This would be a kind of thing you could do in a 5Q group. I'm going to go try to get some disciples for a 5Q meeting myself. I'm going to try to get them in there and have some shepherding influence over them in a 5Q meeting. So I'm going to start praying and begin asking about group members for my own 5Q group. And by next week, I'll report back to you how it's going. There you go. That's behavioral. That's measurable. It's specific. And yes, in fact, and indeed, you can report back on it next week, which is what we anticipate people do in 5Q meetings. Uh, Renee Padilla said this, from a biblical perspective, orthopraxis, that is, we know what orthodoxy is, right? Orthodoxy is right thinking, right doctrine. Orthopractice is right practice. So from a biblical perspective, says Padilla, orthopraxis, obedience to all that Jesus taught his disciples, is at least as important as orthodoxy, if not more so, since the disciples' goal is to live out the practice of love. Jesus' teaching was not merely or even primarily doctrinal, or theoretical, but rather practical and exemplary. So in other words, this is stuff I'm supposed to do. Now, one of the things Robert Coleman would do, and he was a seminary professor, and he was my professor. So back when I was going to seminary, he would hand out the book, Dedication and Leadership, by a guy who used to be a communist, but he converted to Christianity. But he decided, I'm going to write as a Christian about how communists used to make disciples, and if Christianity would make disciples as well as communism used to do when I was with them then, oh my goodness, we would change the world. And this is what he said in the book. One of the things he said, many great things in the book. This is one of them. Any communist tutor who is worth his salt finishes each class with these words. What are the comrades going to do about what we've learned today? How are you going to apply it to the hospital where you're nursing, in the school where you teach? You, in the factory where you're employed. You, as a housewife, to the neighborhood where you're living. So the first item on the agenda when the class meets next is, how did the comrades apply what they learned last week? It does not matter whether the subject is trade union history, scientific socialism, or dialectical materialism. Teacher and top must relate it to life and action. Then Douglas Hyde said this in this incredible book, Dedication and Leadership, Hyde says, in passing, I would reiterate that this is not the way in which Christianity, for example, for example, is normally taught. Now think about the way Jesus taught. Jesus taught with action for action. And his interactions with the disciples had a discernible bias towards action. 
And in Matthew, the last thing he says to him is, I want you to go and make disciples. Go and do what I have done in your life. So those are four questions that we've positioned so far in the five we're going to. The 5Q method of discipleship starts off with Scripture. What is Scripture teaching us today? Phrase by phrase, principle by principle. Number two, how can we adore the God of the passage we're studying today? And just praise Him, worship Him, adore Him, do it openly, do it with each other. Then, how can we give testimony to the truths that Scripture is teaching us today? And just give testimony. You'll be amazed how those testimonies change your group. And then, how do we want to change? I mean, from this passage, what does the Lord want me to do? What does He want me to change? And I will report back on it next week. The last question is this, simply supplication. What am I believing the Lord for today, this week, using this teaching from His Word? How can I pray for you and in our group, we just, everybody prays for someone different, and we just go around the circle, whether it's five of us or 12 of us, we just go around the circle, and we one by one pray for one another, and it is a beautiful way to end this thing, and then we send everybody off in tremendous love, recognizing we're going to be changing some things this week that we can report back next week. Now, let me tell you what, why this is so good. This works better than anything I've ever, ever, ever used, and I've been practicing discipleship for decades. But this is grounded, first off, in Scripture. But it's not content dump from the content expert, which is the discipleship leader, but it's saying, listen, no, 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 no. We are all experts to some extent. Let's just share what the Holy Spirit is sharing with us from that. And I'm going to tell you, that is so powerful in a group setting. I love the worship dynamic of this thing. I love the testimony. I love the, hey, let's do something with this, and we're going to report back on it. We're going to be hold, holding each other accountable for what we're going to do differently this week because of our study in this passage. Then, of course, there's always power in intercessory prayer, praying for one another. I highly recommend you the 5Q method of discipleship. Listen, these five questions will change your life. And if you don't want to buy the book, just listen through this again, write down these five things and start doing them with a small group and see what'll happen. Now, one of the things we do, and in the book, we have a couple of these in the back of the book that you can actually cut out and use. Uh, what we say is you ought to have a card. Everybody ought to have a card with them. And on the front of the card ought to be the five questions. And so, if everybody in the group has these five questions in front of them, you're training them how to do a group. On the back of the card, however, what we call the means of grace. How does grace ride into our life, in other words? Uh, we, you could call this the life and the habits of a disciple. But there are two parts of the means of grace. First off, you want to, uh, about monthly or so, just say, hey, how are we doing, group, with the works of piety? In other words, how is your daily prayer life? How is your daily scripture reading? How are you regularly receiving the Lord's Supper? How is your fasting discipline? And how is your small group and church life going? So you ask each other these questions. And just real quickly, just let's review. We want to keep mindful that this is very important if we're going to be serious disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's the works of piety. The second part of the means of grace, so to speak, is the works of mercy. 
uh, and that is some weekly mix of compassion ministry, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, entertaining the stranger, going to a prison, going to a nursing home, uh, going to a place where kids can't read and you're going to help them and teach them to read. Uh, all kinds of beautiful things, including evangelism. And just say, I want to be a part of the works of piety, prayer, scripture reading, Lord's Supper, fasting, small groups, large groups, but also works of mercy. And that is, I want to regularly, at least monthly, if not weekly, have a regular prison ministry. Uh, for my own, I go regularly to the prison. I go regularly to, uh, to the abortion clinic. And then from time to time, I'll throw in on some other things, but I want to make sure my life is substantially a compassionate ministry life. And this is why. John Wesley had a sermon called On Zeal. He says, works of mercy, uh, the disciple should show his zeal for these works of piety, no question about it, but much more for these works of mercy. Whenever, therefore, one interferes with the other, works of mercy are to be preferred. Even reading, hearing, prayer are to be omitted or to be postponed at charity's almighty call when we're called to relieve the distress of our neighbor, whether in body or soul. I don't know what Wesley had in mind there, but I got to wonder if he didn't have the parable of the Good Samaritan in mind. Remember that story? There was a guy that was dying on the side of the road. Here comes a priest, went right by him, probably had to make a worship service. Here comes a Levite, worship leader, went right by him. The priest, the minister, and the worship leader had no time. But a race that the Jews happened to hate, and this race happened to hate the Jews, was the Samaritans. And a Samaritan stopped and helped. And Jesus seemed to declare in that passage, the Samaritan had it right. And we need to get it right and hold each other accountable for getting it right with both the works of piety and the works of mercy. Genuine holiness, says Frederick Coots, will find its expression in unrewarded service to the last, the least, and the lost. And it's still true. There's no holiness without movement to the poor and to the unevangelized. Stanley Jones talks about the great story. A Brahmin, he says, from India, attended a meeting where Christians were glowingly describing how Christ has saved them. So this guy decided, I need to speak up. He said, you know, you people, you say you're saved. Well, so am I. Like Christ has saved you, Krishna has saved me. So the missionary in charge of the meeting replied, oh, we're very glad to hear that you're saved. Very glad indeed. Now, we're going down to the outcast quarters. And we're going to see what we can do for these poor people. We're going to sit on their beds and in their houses, and we're going to share their lives to help them. Will you join us? And the Brahmin looked down and said, Well, Sahib, I'm saved, but I'm not saved that far. <laughs> I'm not saved that far. Not saved far enough to actually do works of mercy. Listen, if you can get a discipleship group together, and put together these five questions on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, and then hold each other accountable for works of piety and works of mercy. Let me just say, if you do this, and if you decide we're going to reproduce this kind of method, in other words, we're going to have third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation of 5Q disciples, you just watch to see what the Lord won't do in your church and in 
in your community. My, my disciple maker friend, Hal Perkins, calls me up from time to time. He says, hey, hey, Matt, how's our third generation doing? The second generation are the folks that we meet with right now in 5Q groups. So I, I have a group that's a second generation. I'm first generation, they're second generation. The third generation are those who my disciples are leading in 5Q groups. Hal knows that too often we can settle in with our disciple-making passion and just go for the second generation and forget that we're really supposed to be making disciple-making disciples, who by extension make disciples that make disciples. Y'all, that's the hope of this methodology, is that we become reproducers and that we make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It is a beautiful, beautiful way to live a life. I, I love having 5Q groups. I have bunches of them. But at the end of the day, reproducing 5Q groups is better than having a 5Q group. So this is a book. But y'all don't have to have the book. You don't have to have a book. Just write down these questions and then use them in a small group. And then remember the works of piety and the works of mercy. Put all of this together and you're going to get profound discipleship and you're going to get really profound revival going on. Listen, revival isn't just getting blessed or getting happy or getting emotional. Revival is the making of disciples and making more and more and more of them in a multiplying way. That's the stuff of revival. Anybody want some of that? All right. It's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship. And remember, check out our books at Amazon.com, especially this book today, The 5Q Method of Discipleship, Five Questions That Will Change Your Life. Check it out. And, you know, if you can't, you have trouble using it, just go to Amazon.com and type in my name, Matt Friedemann. That's two E's, Matt Friedemann, into the search engine and just see what's offered there. Always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.